Welcome to the one within all to another episode of Innerverse coming at you from a storm and morning in May. I'm your host, Chance, and today I have a conversation for you all that is many years in the making. I say that because since the outbreak of the super scary worldwide cooties crisis a few years back, the symbolic literati among us have continually perceived a pervasive persistence of particular symbolism from the ideas of Ovid to the pan of this greatest outbreak of all time pandemic. And even as one scary is pushed after the next, we with eyes to see have kept pulling at the threads that connect the medical establishment to mythology and found its mafia-esque structure is a direct reflection of the corrupted offshoots of ancient mystery school traditions from which the whole pharmacia sorcery thing started. And today's honored guest has been diligently taking notes on all of these countless connections and brought it all together in his newest book, The Dimmick of Pan, Breaking the Natural Order, by Wayne McCroy Jr. And today joining me with Wayne is my good friend Joshua Donahue. But I'm most excited and have been looking forward to this conversation for a long time, as Wayne's newest book really continues and pulls together all the ideas of his previous work. From his first work, The Alchemical Tech Revolution, and then his book about autism, Transhumanism's Dirty Little Secret. He's got so much, so much wisdom on this particular topic, demonstrating how the technocrats have had these particular plans in the works for not just years, not just decades, perhaps centuries. And I'm excited as well to have Joshua joining me because both Wayne and Joshua are particularly profound biblical scholars with a powerful Christian, Christian mysticism about them. And they're individuals who have had a lifetime of service and help to others in their particular lines of work and personal lives. So very cool to bring these two gentlemen together for what will be an epic conversation. You can find Wayne's stuff on Amazon, buy his books there, ebook e- e- format or physical copy. And you can get to his excellent video presentations on Rockfin at Alchemical Tech Revolution or YouTube if you prefer that. So I uh, better wrap up this intro so we can start covering all the tons of ground we've got to get into here. Welcome, Wayne, to the Interverse. Thanks for coming back here. Thanks, Chance, for having me back on again. It's always a pleasure, my friend. Absolutely. Yeah, we've been kicking this uh, conversation around for a little while. And Joshua, how have you been, man? What did you think of Wayne's book? I really enjoyed it. Uh, I've been well, and um, this book was a lot of fun to read. I even felt inspired when I was reading it. And... I even wrote a little bit of a rhyme rap to honor our guest. So if I may, could I, could I read that? Spoken that word rhyme. <laughs> Wayne McRoy. The name of royalty, he is serving up king-size beats, spitting truth about the metaverse. He is taking it to the streets. Pandemic, pantameter, measuring a man's feats against his wheats. In these times, if your heart is pure, it is the pandemic goat that he defeats. Oh, yeah. So the answer to the question, that's how I feel right now. Have you ever been introduced <laughs> with uh, hip-hop? before Wayne? I can't say I have that. That's a first for me. And I, I appreciate that. I, I truly do. That's you have my gratitude. I, I you know, I'm humble. Thank you. 
<laughs> I loved it, man. Joshua is quite a musical individual. So, Wayne, uh, as we get started here, maybe you could just go ahead and give us the sort of 10,000 foot overview of what your newest book is about and why you felt it was important to write it and bring all these ideas that many of us have seen in pieces throughout the last couple of years together in one concise place. Well, when we look at back uh, over the course of the past two years and how society has been fundamentally changed uh, on, on quite a profound level, uh, it's important to understand what exactly has happened here. What, what brought this whole change about? What were the underlying causes to this? Uh, so, um, you know, I, I decided it's important to look and see what it is that uh, has been utilized against us in such a way as to fundamentally transform society uh, in the way that it has and what it's shifting towards and where we're going. And not only that, the, the most important facet of this that I, I wanted to get out there are the tools that are being used to do this, because most people are, well, I shouldn't say blissfully unaware, but they are unaware that uh, these methodologies or tools are being used against them because they're unaware of these tools actually being uh, a thing that could be wielded against them. Uh, so I wanted to point out the premise that uh, archetypes and mythology are used to steer the public consciousness in many ways, and people are uh, unaware that this goes on. But the people at the top of the power structure, the dark occultists that run this world, as I like to call them, are very much aware of the use of these things. And these are more subjective ideas. So they're not easy to pin down, uh, but they do actually exist and they have been acknowledged as being utilized by people within the power structure and the control structure. And uh, that's one of the things that I introduced right off the bat, right in the beginning of the book. I uh, put an excerpt from another book in there. And the, the title of that book is the changing images of man. And that was a Stanford Institute project, which uh, utilized a lot of different academics from different fields, including uh, some from uh, cybernetics methodology fields like Margaret Mead. If anybody's familiar with Margaret Mead, she was one of the major contributors to this work. And uh, I believe Joseph Campbell uh, was also a contributor to this work. And that's an important one to keep in mind, too, as a reference point, uh, because Joseph Campbell was like pr probably the preeminent scholar of our time on the subject of mythology. And uh, actually in this work, Changing Images of Man, they point out the fact that sometimes they have to utilize these subjective ideas such as archetypes or, um, you know, uh, mythologies, so to say, or things like allegory uh, in order to transform public behaviors in some way to affect the mind of man. Right. Uh, so they've they've tried their best to quantify these things and uh, to make them measurable. And in so doing, uh, they're, they're trying to make it more controllable because that's concisely how these people operate. They want to quantify everything, make it measurable and countable in some way. And if you can do that, then you can make it more easily controllable. So what they've tried to do is take some of these more subjective ideas and terms that they recognize that have profound effects upon the minds of men. And they're trying to utilize them in ways to steer uh, the public perception of things. And essentially what I lay out in the book is they've used mythological archetypes, uh, several particular ones, in order to steer the public consciousness into acceptance of a new mythology for our modern sensibilities. And uh, to accept a new God, so to say. And that God is what they call, quote unquote, science. 
And that's what this mythology all is crafted around. They're trying to steer uh, these different uh, views of the public into this condition, right, into this state. And they do this by uh, wielding different occult archetypes in ways that people don't recognize. They they have inherently studied uh, how natural energies in this place work and have found ways to try to, uh, for lack of a better term, hack the system. And that's what they're attempting to do here. They're trying to hack the system to steer mankind's uh, direction in the direction that they want. And that's inherently towards this whole transhumanist future, because that's uh, the end game of it all. Uh, any Anytime, I, I tell people all the time, invariably, any of these uh, conspiracy theory type topics that you research, you will invariably wind up in two places when you uh, go to the deepest roots and ends of where those trails take you. You'll always wind up back in the ancient mystery schools of antiquity, and the, the secret society groups that bring forward their ideas and these occult thoughts. And you'll, at the other end, you'll find transhumanism as the ultimate goal of all of this. Uh, and it's, it's every topic I've ever touched, I've ever looked at, it always winds up in these same two places, back in the occultism that was born out of the mystery schools of antiquity. And then the invariable end always leads to the advent of the transhumanist singularity. Uh, that's that's what they're looking for. And that's why they've been steering these things in that direction. And, uh, you know, it might be a, a bridge too far for some folks, but uh, you have to actually step outside of the normal way of thinking about things in order to better understand this. And that's the nature of archetypes. Right. It's something that uh, it doesn't necessarily align with our subjective scientific views that we've been given in our modern era. It's more of a subjective ideology, right? But it doesn't make it any less potent nonetheless. And that's the thing here. And people don't recognize it for what it is because we've been taught to think that uh, a lot of these ideas are just like backwards and antiquated, right? Uh, when you think about uh, Greek mythology or something like that, uh, it's hard for the modern person to derive any value from that. And, uh, you know, uh, we haven't been taught these things that were given as a classical education for many years now. Uh, the things like uh, the underlying myths and legends of things, all these different storytelling archetypes and uh, motifs that have been brought forward through the ages. It's not taught as a regular thing in our school system anymore. Uh, so many people are separated from these ideas of mythology and don't understand uh, the underlying archetypes that are there. Yeah, because they don't recognize the stories. They don't see the stories even. Uh, most people are not familiar with them anymore. So uh, the, this power structure that's in charge, they leverage these different stories, these mythological archetypes against people in many ways in uh, their modern storytelling and their modern narratives. And the, the term narrative is very important here uh, because it's something that uh, denotes some type of uh, fictional aspect to it, right? When you say narrative. Uh, and they, they're always pushing narratives, especially on the news, right? That's what news is about, pushing narratives. And it's not necessarily the truth of the matter. There may be some true aspects to what they tell you. But by and large, what they tell you is a crafted story. Uh, and that's what goes on with this. And they interweave some of these old mythological archetypes into these stories. And people don't recognize them on the surface. But these things are designed in a way that it's it's an archetypal phenomenon. So it affects you on an unconscious level. You will unconsciously recognize it. And then on your subconscious level, you will react to it in that way. And it will eventually surface 
as a uh, part of your conscious behavior. And most people don't seem to understand that or, or uh, you know, really grasp that concept. But these people in positions of power certainly do. So they know that if they present these certain archetypes to you, you will react in certain ways. And they've actually tried to uh, pin down the different uh, reactions they get from the different archetypes. And they could do this by looking back at all the old uh, mythological stories and seeing how the cultures through the ages have reacted to these stories and behaved based upon uh, the ideas inherent in these stories. So I know that's uh, a mouthful. But, uh, you know, that 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 in a nutshell is what I outline in the book, uh, the way that these mythological archetypes have been leveraged against us. And I also demonstrate throughout the book ways that this whole uh, pandemic situation was was preplanned for a very long time, uh, even in their own scientific literature and stuff like that. Uh, so I think it's important to lay down the groundwork that uh, this was planned. There's a reason for it. There's an agenda behind it and uh, where it's leading, which is transhumanism. Uh, that that's at the end of the day, what it all aligns to. So, like I said, I know that was a mouthful, but I hope that's an adequate explanation as to what, uh, you know, I try to bring together in this book. Yeah, man, this idea is definitely not strange or foreign to my audience. I would expect we've all been hot on the trail of this thing for a long time. And what I appreciate so much about your book is how it does bring it all together in one place with a, clear thread that you could actually hand this book to a normie that was like starting to wonder what the heck's going on. And they might be able to grasp it <laughs> because whenever we're throwing ideas around to like friends and family that maybe are finally questioning the narrative a little bit, we start to talk about archetypes and, and pan and shit. And they're just like, ah, <laughs> they, they fly, they fly away. But if we can bring it to them in the proper order and show them the ideas laid out brick by brick, the way you do, I think that that's very helpful. Uh, so at the beginning of the book, you refer to a pervasive field of consciousness beyond ourselves that we are all somehow connected to. This consciousness field imparts information to us about the nature of symbols and archetypes. That's from page 17. Now, what I understand about the archetypes in my experience is it's not just that we can be influenced in our psyche via the use of archetypes that reflect these inner modalities of consciousness within us, but that we actually have a conversation with the archetypes and they don't, they don't just influence us. We influence them back that the archetypes actually change over time. These aspects of the collective psyche based on our feedback to them. So a book that I also read recently that I think that if you haven't read it, it is so, so aligned with your work like very, very similar type of work. Like you said, every all roads lead to transhumanism. All roads lead to the use of alchemy to create the external inverted homunculus freak show thing. So this book is uh, Money Grows in the Tree of Knowledge by Tracy Twyman. It is about the concept of alchemics, which is how our entire economy is based on alchemy. And this book is from 2012. If she had seen what was going on right now, <laughs> if she had lived this far, I mean, you know, she'd be talking about exactly what you're talking about. So I want to give this quote from her book. It's a little bit long, but this is the direction I want to go from here before I kick it to Joshua to see if he has anything to add in or to ask Wayne, because this isn't directly a question. It's more just like a, a direction. She's talking about ritual magic in this passage. She says, 
Through quasi-religious rituals, superstitious acts, prayer, meditation, and the repetition of magic words, the magician tries to convince himself and the others involved in the working that he has done something to change reality or that the gods have done it for him. He chooses to suspend disbelief, to not be critical, to not worry about whether the desired change will literally occur or how it will manifest. This, supposedly, is the key to magic. Pretend that something is real, and sooner or later it becomes real. Various attempts have been made to explain how this supposedly comes about, resorting to theories of quantum mechanics or the collective unconscious. But to anyone who has ever knowingly, deliberately, and successfully utilized this principle in their own life, it doesn't really matter how it happens. It only matters that it does. What I am describing here is the true creative power of the human imagination, which can literally alter physical reality by tricking itself into believing that reality has already changed. This is, at the, this is the principle at the heart of the hermetic arts. It must, then, be the principle at work in alchemy. So, uh, Joshua, do you have anything to add or ask Wayne before we let him riff on all these ideas I just laid down? Yeah, um, the book itself, the cover kind of reminded me of the tree of knowledge. So money is the root of all evil, right? So it would suggest that uh, money derives itself from the tree of knowledge, which the fruits thereof bring death um, as opposed to the tree of life, right? So I found that pretty interesting. Uh, And pentacles represent coins. So money is indeed directly connected to the uh, manifestation of our desires, right? So in this world... And the earth element of the age of Capricorn that, you know, the occultists are trying to skip over Aquarius to Capricorn, according to Wayne. Oh, yeah, yeah. The breaking of the natural order, as it were. Since earth so, is yeah. the pentacle. And, of course, the goat itself represents the scapegoat, which is the uh, placing of all the sins. So, you know, when this judgment occurs, I think you know, we're seeing a lot of this Hellenization, which is the alchemy of the mind on a large scale uh, using these archetypes. It's creating a metamorphosis of sorts um, to create the imago, the image. So these archetypes are projected onto the computer of our mind, just like in uh, Plato's cave, right, to create the image. And so um, what does this do to the mind? Well, they know because this stuff's happened before. And uh, I use the term Hellenization there to kind of explain that because it's the mixing of all these archetypes that creates that. Uh, it's something that's untenable, un, untenable and uh, unsustainable. Um, so I wrote down hack, Hellenism hack earlier whenever you guys were talking because that's basically what they're doing is, I mean, personally, I think that we all as humans come with a um, like a certain hardware, right, that can be with these types of archetypes and sorry joshua could you back up about a sentence that your mic went crazy oh sorry so and it was my I fault that- i was trying to adjust your mic settings manually and then it all went crazy so i i, I put it back <laughs> and so okay. please repeat yourself <laughs> well uh or about the time I was talking about hacking Hellenism or something like that. So just continue from there. Yeah. So basically this, uh, we have this natural innate um, sense to want to follow. Right. So, uh, and worship, which the word Avad in Sumerian means to work 
and worship. So we're fundamentally designed in such a way to follow and worship and, and such. And, and those folks know this because back in the day, it was the fallen angels that were doing this. And so it's really the same thing. Idle shepherds leading astray. And uh, we've talked about in the chats about G-O-D, not God himself, but G-O-D, the word meaning um, salt, mercury, and sulfur, that this uh, trinity of sorts kind of is part of the pineal activation. And that's really the, like the antenna that is used to transmit these mythologies and these archetypes. And I think that that's why uh, in the Bible, um, and this is how I'm finishing there, (laughs) there's the father archetype, right? That breaks this. Uh, and and it is like the strong arm that can guard against these other um, competing mythologies. So that's kind of how I see it is that we're also seeing a hijacking of the father archetype and things like the Pope, Mother Earth, you know, um, and even if we go to Revelation, we see Apollyon coming, which is the son of Jehovah coming to do punishment. Um so I think these archetypes are still present today and they do affect us. Now we can dismiss that reality, uh, but I don't think that that does us any good. So I think it's wiser instead to examine them and better understand them uh, because then we can learn how to defend against them and wear that armor of God. Uh, you have Ephesians 6 in the back talks about the principalities and uh, powers and wickedness in high places and so that is indeed uh, what is given to us when we study the stuff is we get the armor to withstand the spiritual war that we're in, which is the Hellenism hack. <laughs> so anyway, thank you for allowing me to expand on that. All right. Uh, there's a lot to unpack there. Uh, definitely. Uh, so um First of all, I was unaware of that book by Tracy Twyman, and uh, that quote from the book is very profound uh, because it does align very much with many things I've discovered. I've, I've said in the past uh, that our monetary system, economies, economics, is an alchemical science of sorts, and uh, she confirms that there. Uh, there's a definite, definite alchemical element to it, and it has been abused and twisted and changed. And, um, you know, they, they do say the love of money is the root of all evil. Uh, so, uh, that being the case, I can definitely see, uh, the potential for abuse in that system has been utilized to the max by these people in control. Uh, they've, they've kind of used it to steer us into this more materialist mindset, uh, this consumerism mindset. And that's, uh, something that's very important, uh, in the modern, uh, era that we're in this this digital age that we're stepping into Uh, it's all consumer driven it's all materialist driven and i like to call it the realm of hyper materialism that's where they're trying to steer our minds trap us in strictly this physical plane uh so to say uh they're trying to steer us in that direction uh that's what's been done here and that's why they've leveraged some of these archetypes against us in that way because they want us to think in terms of our 3D physical reality that we exist in, that we experience with our five senses, is all that there is. And uh, if that's the case, then their transhumanist hack is the way forward to live forever and, uh, you know, be able to uh, become the quote unquote gods of this place. And that's exactly what they're looking to achieve. They want to become God in no uncertain terms. 
So what they've done is they've inverted the natural laws and natural orders of this place, the way things operate, and they've they've butted against those. And uh, they're trying to create this system in which, uh, you know, everybody is steered into this materialist paradigm uh, where they think in terms of this is all there is. And if that's the case, if this is all there is, this just this physical existence we have, they would describe consciousness as being nothing more than the electrochemical byproduct of the activity of your brainstem. Uh, And if that's the case, then this could be duplicated by an algorithm. And if this could be duplicated by an algorithm, therefore your consciousness could be uploaded to a machine. And this is what uh, some of the lower tier people working on the transhumanist technologies believe, uh, because they view everything through this strict lens of what they call science, right? And uh, inherent in science is what we would call atheism. But uh, even atheism worships a god. And that's the, the bottom line here. That God is science, right? So even when somebody's a strict atheist, they believe they could become God through the use of their uh, intellect. And this is the same Luciferian lie that's been going on since the beginning of time. Uh, so that being the case, they're, they're looking at uh, these transhumanist technologies as they're a way to achieve Godhood. They could have, um, you know, immortality that's 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 one of the keys there they could become immortal they could transfer their consciousness into any receptacle that they want and be anything that they want and they could have total control of this system by uh, creating this uh, network this uh, panopticon control grid that they're setting in place and uh, uploading the consciousness of all mankind to it and that's what their plan is they they want to have total control over all of this. And at the end of the day, who's actually running it? Who's controlling it? Like if you were to actually, no, no just say conceptually, I don't think this is going to gonna fly and I don't think it's possible because I don't think consciousness is what they're, they're claiming here that it is. But just say conceptually that you can do that, that you can upload your consciousness into a machine. Well, who's running that machine and who's controlling that machine? Who's controlling your experience within that machine? Because it's certainly not going to be you because you've separated yourself from the control box, so to say, and you've put yourself in the system to be manipulated by somebody else. Does this sound like a good idea? I don't think it does. Uh, even on if you accept their conceptualization of this on the face of it, it doesn't sound like a good idea. But that's that totally disregards the the secondary thing that's going on with this and the more spiritual ramifications of this. And this is the bigger plan and bigger agenda that's understood better by those, uh, you know, dark occultists that run this place. There's something else going on here. And that's just the surface level narrative that they're pushing. So they're trying to create this ideology that uh, physical world that we live in, the material world, this is all there is uh, that we experience through our five senses. And in order to, uh, you know, not, uh, cease existing, it would be beneficial for us to upload our consciousness to a machine and be part of this system, right? And they, they claim this is the future of humanity. It's the, the next step in human evolution. Uh, that, that's how they try to gear this together. And uh, the way they present it, they present it as uh, this transhumanist singularity, so to say, will be the cure of everything that ails mankind. All of your illnesses, sicknesses, disabilities, disease, even down to aging and death can be solved through this transhumanist singularity. And that's that's the way they're going to pivot uh, the argument for this to get the public to buy into it. Uh, but at the end of the day, um, you know, it's 
not going to be everything that it's cracked up to be, uh, how they're presenting it to us. Uh, so uh, it's disingenuous. All right. And they have different plans in mind. And a lot of this has to do uh, going back with different occult sciences. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely something that's been planned a long time. And uh, there's there's different underlying occult principles behind it. And that's that's some of the things I try to unpack in the book, uh, right down to the the Ubermensch idea presented by Nietzsche and, uh, you know, the the archetypes that were brought forward through Nazi ideology. Uh, so, you know, this creates the, the Superman, right? That's what Ubermensch is. Superman. It's the Superman idea. It's the next step in human evolution. It's, it's man ascending to uh, this level of apotheosis, so to say. And this has always been one of the promises uh, from the ancient mystery schools. It's just brought forward in a more uh, modern type of sensibility for us to accept when you look at it as the transhumanist philosophy, when you, uh, Look at it as man using his technology to uh, uh, do this self-guided evolution thing. And that's how they they term it. Uh, they call it self-guided evolution. So, uh, you know, they, they're trying to convince mankind that uh, he can step up into this next step of human evolution by pursuing this agenda and disregard all of the, uh, you know, the concerns about, well, who's actually running it, right? <laughs> That's what they're trying to do. They're trying to suspend disbelief uh, in people by saying that, uh, you know, your your consciousness will be combined with others and it'll be this uh, this group consciousness that runs things. I, I don't think so because somebody has to sit outside of the big machine, so to say, in order to uh, run the big machine. So you uploading your consciousness into the big machine it, you're not in control anymore. See, it's it's an ab, ab, abdication of your free will principle. Uh, you're giving up your free will in in that regard. And this is one of the greatest gifts we've been given by our creator is free will. And uh, that's that's the whole bottom line here. So they want you to abdicate your free will uh, to somebody else. And who exactly that is? Um, well, who could say for sure? And that's the the big problem here. They give you all these promises of uh, all these different uses of these technologies. And at the end of the day, you're not going to be in control of them. So you, you have to put your total trust in somebody or something else. And that something else is a replacement for God Almighty. This would be an Antichrist spirit, because uh, if you look at the idea of an Antichrist spirit, it's not necessarily like against Christ. It's an alternate Christ spirit you're looking at when you're speaking about antichrist. Uh, so you're putting your faith in something else, an alternative to God. And that's uh, wherein the problem becomes, uh, you know, uh, evident on a spiritual level here because no creation can be greater than its creator. I'm sorry. I, I just, I can't see that being possible. How can a creation be greater than its creator? Uh, think about that. Uh, that that's why, I, I think things like, uh, you know, the, the, these worries about artificial intelligence uh, becoming like sentient and, and taking out mankind and stuff are unfounded because no creation can become greater than its creator. And, you know, that's that's a concern that a lot of people have. But it's a false premise. Right. And it's a false premise in order to push an agenda. Uh, so that that's kind of one of the things we're looking at here. I think we got a little off the, off the track there, but the, sometimes the side tangents are always the best, right? Oh, that's what we're here for, man. I have all kinds of 
possibilities to throw at you guys. And then I'll kick it over to Joshua to see where his mind's gone to. I kind of like this, uh, you know, going in, going in a circle here with you two guys. So a lot of things come to mind from all the things you just said. First of all, I think it's really important because of the fact that so many of us come from different, um, like possible ideologies or perspectives on particular religions or mythologies that we get into a definition of terms. So I'm going to throw out my best understanding from an etymological perspective to define a couple of terms. The first one being Jehovah, which is what we're really saying when we talk about God. Now, Jehovah, as I understand it, represents the, is a word representing as a verb, the self-existing life force energy and eternal nature of creation or another way of putting it it's the law of nature because it is the it's law because of the fact that it will it always exists it's self-existing it flows and continues and nothing can interrupt or stop that and so simpler term for jehovah could just be existence itself now uh it's what generates existence, though. It's the animating spirit, I guess, is a way of putting it. So it's more of a spirit than the physicality of the thing itself, of of existence itself. But it's a complicated idea. What's important about it is that it's a verb, not a noun. <laughs> because whenever we look at other areas of of our shared research and interest, like the law stuff that Crow gets into so often, and uh, occasionally we cover here, we're talking about man's legal system in opposition to natural law. And that's what scientism versus Jehovah, if you will, is really all about. Scientism is faith in man's idea of how things work rather than believing or not believing, but just following nature and doing things the way nature does it. So a, a definition of Jesus Christ on an etymological level, I've heard described as actually meaning as a name, Jehovah is salvation. So that's like akin to saying existence, that which gives existence is our salvation. And what makes it our salvation is that if we do things the way nature would do them or the way God or Jehovah designed it or created it to to happen and to flow, we will be healthy. We will be healed. We will live. We will have eternal life. We will continue to generate offspring and exist perpetually. But to do things in an antichrist way would be to do things against existence. So antichrist as a concept is like basically that our salvation is in non-existence. And that's what the metaverse is. (laughs) You're going into non-existence. You're literally ceasing to exist and becoming just like a ghost in the machine. But that's not even in reality. I don't think that's even possible. I don't think mind even equates to consciousness, but the scientism people are definitely making that one-to-one mind equals consciousness to them. When in fact, I know plenty of people who have a mind, but they don't seem very conscious at all. (laughs) But uh, uploading consciousness into the machine does seem like there's something twisted about the concept because of the idea that the I am, that animating spirit, that Jehovah, is ultimately the same sense of I am that all living beings share. And if there is some energy that is animating the artificial, in a sense, that energy still came from the I am. So what we're doing is, in a way, 
with this technology, potentially it's a form of enslavement of nature, which is it's capturing and enslaving. It's putting, you know, a genie in a bottle metaphorically. And I think there could be some uh, natural law ramifications or consequences for that, that we're seeing occur in the, the way that these devices in, affect our health negatively and disconnect us from nature and keep us inside and staring at the black mirror scrying device. So this has all been a mouthful, but you know, the last thing that I want to riff on is that the, the, the false promise of transhumanism is exactly the same as the new age or the, the new cage. It's the externalization or the inversion of the understanding of Jehovah, of the understanding of the I am being the animating spirit that is the same and within all of us and within all life and nature by telling us that we're all literally God. And that is a, it's like getting, you know, your comma or your period in the wrong place is <laughs> close. We are all part of God. We are all made up of nature. We're all animated by this same divine spirit, but none of us can snap our fingers and make the wall disappear or, you know, create something out of nothing. So we're not literally God, but transhumanism is making that promise, especially in the metaverse where, you know, you can ex nihilo generate something out of nothing, but that something is actually always nothing because it's just abstract numbers in a machine you know, electricity through circuits. There's nothing existing there. <laughs> so, okay, Joshua, you want to add anything to what Wayne and I have been saying? Yeah. Uh, first of all, praise Jehovah. <laughs> so uh, that uh, YHWH, Yehovah, when you add the shin letter to the middle, uh, so when you put the spirit into that, it creates yashua so which is salvation so it is indeed salvation in jehovah so um and that is also analogous to the tree of life this established way of doing things and any deviation from that is a branch of the tree of knowledge so you could say that what they're doing to us is feeding us fruit from the tree of knowledge which brings death so diseases of all types um anything that stems from them non-natural order. Um, so this Superman archetype, um, this is trying to create a great of all time, right? A goat of sorts and you can be a God, right? And so I would call this, uh, eating from the fruits of the tree of knowledge as the oldest trick in the book. And it's that you do become an anti-Christo. You're choosing a different God for the altar in your mind, the temple in your mind. And this is where we bring our fruits. So if we want to bring fruits that are pleasing to Jehovah, we bring his own word back to our, our temple. And we mentally digest that with the shin, which is another word for Hebrew for teeth. So we, we chew on it and we ruminate on it like a, a lamb chews its could, for instance. So I find that, and of course we got things like, the uh, transhuman thing, right? So I think if we look at all the fruits of this, it does go back to this tree of knowledge. So <laughs> uh, I think what we're going to discover is that we got to come back to Jehovah and his tree of life and get back to our roots. <laughs> so yeah, I really enjoy that. Um, 
the way you guys explain that. And I also wrote a note here of, you mentioned the consumer society and that made me think of the consuming of this fruit, like all of these different brands, you know, uh, so a team gets together and they create a brand. And so eventually their goal is to cover you, your temple and brands and your mind and brands. And so eventually we become this collection because of the susceptibility we have to these archetypes. You know, we kind of fill our temple with all this junk. And uh, so I think the goal really is to clean it all out, you know, like do a detox of sorts. We kind of refer to detoxification in physical terms, but you know, it is also to be done with meditation and in and, and a mind way and reading the word does it in like a spiritual way because we can be participating in a lot of these unclean spiritual practices without even realizing it. And um, I think their goal is to mix all the kingdoms together to create these chimeric beings that are not natural. And this goes back to the pre-flood times with the Nephilim. And that's what uh, preempted the destruction that was brought by the flood. And so when we go to Revelation, we learn that the second destruction is by fire. So what preempts that? Well, the mixing of all the things, the pan. <laughs> pan means all, right? So all of these kingdoms trying to uh, find a, a, a host. In, in and the you man, mix up all right? your food in a pan. Which is kind of what we are to the least. We're sort of, uh, you know, where there they feed on us. It's vampiric. The smorgasbord, a loose smorgasbord. Yeah. So that's those are some thoughts that came to my mind. Um, and uh, this black cube design that they want to, uh, they, they say, are kind of like oracles into these other dimensions with these other intelligences. I mean, I do think that these entities exist and it's just their job to lead us astray. I mean, they're just doing what they're supposed to be doing, but we got to remember that that stuff's real. And again, we got to armor ourselves and that's the, uh, the armor again is Jehovah's armor. The helmet is salvation, which is Yahshua. So that's where our, our temple is. So I probably riffed enough. <laughs> but, it's good stuff. Uh, I really appreciate the shin added to YHVH. That's a really good point. The salvation of Yehovah. Pardon, I forgot to mention something. uh, Yod is the head where our temple is. Hey is the arms where our heart is. The shin, you could, well, I guess you could consider like the shin, the heart, like when you see the flaming heart, Jesus Christ with the flaming heart in the center, that kind of represents that. But really it's the head where you bring your fruits to the temple. Uh, The vav is your trunk, like we're a tree and our top has a crown. Uh, so you kind of think of the trunk in the same way. And then the hay is the bottom set of arms, which is the legs. So we are literally made in the image of God as well as in, in the fact that we're a temple. So if you look at the way that uh, Yahweh's temple was built, Jehovah's temple was built, uh, it is like a human body. And so, um, yeah, just wanted to mention that because I, I think that we are the temple, right? We're, we're, the temple of the Holy spirit and where are two more gathered, there's the spirit. So right now the spirit's with us. <laughs> Praise God. Right. I would agree with that. Uh, it's definitely a model of the human body and all those things that you named just in the uh, name Yahweh align with the chakra system that's acknowledged by so many in the occult field 
so like all these things interrelate. And I think it's, it's a shame, honestly, that many Christians refuse to look at all any of these, this type of information because they think it's, it's evil. It's not inherently evil, right? It's information. It's what you do with it that could be used for good or bad. It's a tool like anything else, but it's important that you understand it. And, uh, another thing that's really been done here is, uh, they've, they've tried to quantify the idea of God and they do this through that, uh, that means Yahweh, that uh, Y-H-W-H, right? Uh, and and I'll, I'll explain it this way. Uh, how they quantify that is if you look at uh, that, uh, it's called the Tetragrammaton. This is the unspeakable name of God, the unpronounceable name of God. Uh, this whole idea, they've tried to quantify it, and like so much of everything else they do. And this is another perversion and inversion of uh, natural science and how the natural world works, okay, and like alchemy. Uh, so what they've done is they've taken these these uh, letters to represent the creator, this tetragrammaton, Y-H-W-H. And uh, these relate directly to numbers, right? Uh, because in, in the Hebrew, they use the, the letter symbol and the number symbol are synonymous with one another. So Y-H-W-H adds up to 10565, which adds up to 26. Uh, what's 26? Well, 26 is the crafted English language, uh, which is the, one of the primary uh, languages for communication uh, all throughout the world here. Uh, so what they've done is they've, they've quantified uh, the idea of God into the language or the power of God into the language. And in so doing, they've crafted the word because in the beginning was the word and the word was God and the word was with God. Uh, and they, they tried to weaponize this against the people. Uh, so. This is, you know, an important concept for people to grasp hold of. Uh, so uh, when you see 10565 Yahweh, that uh, tetragrammaton number, uh, there's, there's many things associated with this. And there's many things throughout different occult circles associated with it, too. In fact, there's a branch of uh, um, an order. Uh, I think it's an offshoot of the OTO called the Order of the Trapezoid, uh, which is based upon this principle. Uh, the ten five six five, and it's it's uh, there's some inherent uh, you know spiritual uh, inferences made with that, but this was an attempt uh, by these dark occultists that run things to try to uh, grab hold of the power of God and invert it. They did this through trying to quantify it, and in quantifying it, they've used it to uh, steer languages and uh, you know try to rebuild languages. Uh, since the the advent of the Tower of Babel, when the languages were confused, uh, that's why there's all this push for like you know uh, the, the language of business and trade throughout the world is primarily English. Well, this is why it's it's been a language that was crafted very carefully in order to hide meanings of uh, the roots of words and etymologies and things like this, and this relates directly to archetypes and things of that nature. So there's inherent underlying meanings to many of the words that we use. Uh, that we don't recognize in our modern parlance uh, because they're derived from much older places. And the meanings are very much, a lot of times, vastly different than uh, what's intended. So, uh, you know, when we see a lot of this stuff going on, no, this is one methodology that they use to uh, try to weaponize these different inherent natural energies against people. Uh, so, to make a quick, like just a really quick interjection there too, is what I understand about the uh, what makes it kind of a weaponization to have the quantification is that the secret priesthood who I believe in an earlier time 
ancients had this knowledge and they shared it with the people who were ready and wanted to learn versus now when they keep knowledge of natural law occulted. And part of keeping it occulted is our Tower of Babel scattering and confusing of languages. But the the hidden priest class has used this quantification system to keep a consistency between languages for certain concepts and ideas through gematria and through number so that even though they may go to one land to another, they can still communicate and understand the way that the symbolism, the archetypal symbolism is being used for mind control in the new region because they have this gematria science. That's how I understand it in terms of what what makes the sorcery aspect of it. Maybe not intrinsically bad to associate numbers with letters. And if you think about 10, 6, 10, 5, or 10, 5, 10, 6, there's uh, an interesting mystery there about the generative principle in creation. But anyway, I'll let you continue. That's kind of how I understand part of what makes it weaponized. Right. And it, it, that's the thing. I mean, uh, just the, the simple use of numbers is not a bad thing in and of itself. But uh, the important point to realize here is this is an alchemical transmutation of sorts that they're trying to use to invert reality. OK, they use this quantification principle in order to make things more easily controllable. See, that's that's the whole point for them quantifying something or measuring something because it makes it more easily controllable. And this actually aligns with a principle called cybernetics. And this is an important point people might need to understand because cybernetics is the direct inversion of these ancient alchemical principles. And uh, what they do with it is they, they've used uh, the cybernetics methodologies to try to quantify everything, to turn it into a controllable system. Uh, because cybernetics, uh, for most people who aren't necessarily familiar with the term, they'll hear that term and they'll think in terms of robotics and computers and stuff like that. And that's all definitely a part of it. But uh, the core meaning of cybernetics is it's the system of, or it's the science of whole systems control. It's about controlling whole systems, and they use it across the board for everything. You could control any system through cybernetics principles. Thus, that's why they want to quantify everything. If they have some kind of quantification to go by, they know what variables to inject into the system in order to take hold of the system. And this is a principle called creating a causal circuit. Uh, with people can check out Wayne's last appearance on Interverse for a really deep exploration of cybernetics and transhumanism right. from and last year. It's an important thing to understand because it's so key to what they're doing now. And it directly relates to this whole metaverse principle that they've been pushing. Uh, so, uh, yeah, essentially what they've done through, you know, many centuries and perhaps uh, millennia is they've tried to quantify different uh, subjective ideas in a sense, to make them more easily controllable and to be able to use them in this cybernetics approach because it's all about uh, creating a feedback loop of sorts in order to hijack the system. Uh, and they can do this with any system, by the way, anything. Uh, your biological body, uh, your mind, psychological principles, economics, all of these different things, they, they could apply this cybernetics methodology to to figure out the best and most effective ways to control systems. And, and they do that, and that's what they're all about. Uh, but that's the whole uh, purpose of trying to quantify everything is to make it more easy, easy to figure out what kind of an input do we have to put into this system to get the output that we want. Uh, so that's that's essentially what they've done. And they do this across the board for everything. Uh, and it relates to spiritual ideas, too. So, uh, you know, you, you could kind of understand uh, the direction it's going when you, you see and you could 
maybe understand that the principle of cybernetics is an inversion of the old natural sciences. It's, it's inversion of the natural order. Uh, it's, it's man trying to take hold and quantify this subjective realm of nature, right? It's an experiential uh, thing for a lot of us. The natural like world. How we're all being given a number and that that is a biblically right. a no-no to number the people. Right. And, and that's another aspect of it too. I mean, it's, um, this creation, how we were created, it's supposed to be a, a subjective and an experiential, uh, thing here that we come into. Well, they've, they've been quantifying it. They've been trying to, uh, number and control everything. And that's what they've been working towards. And now with the technologies they have, they see that as being within their view, uh, within this lifetime. So, uh, that being the case, they're working feverishly to try to snap this whole control grid into place. Uh, that's why they've been pushing so hard for the past two years. And they, they use different methods that people don't recognize to do this. Like all across the board, they'll take every kind of advantage they can and use every kind of principle that they understand to uh, steer people in the way they want. So, uh, you know, it, you, you got to understand we're living in the age of deception and much of uh, what they're, uh, they're doing here in order to invert the natural order of things is they deceive you, right? Because nature is truth. So the adverse or inverse of nature would be the lie. And that's why they do the things they do uh, that they want to try to steer you to that other end of that spectrum. So, uh, you know, they use all these different tricks uh, to try to do these things and they figure out what works and what doesn't. And they've had this, they've had thousands of years to really uh, try and figure out what works best as far as this. And they have the methodologies down and now they have technologies that they haven't had prior uh, that are, uh, you know, uh, really helping them along with this uh, whole idea. So, uh, you know, at the, at the end of the day, what it comes down to is this, They've weaponized things against us for their own personal greedy gains because they want to become the gods of this place and they think they can do it. Uh, and they don't care about the average person because they view us as what they call the profane. So if you're not part of their big club, you're little more than an animal in their eyes. Uh, so they treat you as such. You're a human resource. That's why they use the term human resources. Uh, so, uh, you know, they they will continue to try to push in this direction. And, uh, you know, we need to, like, understand these principles and we can use our understanding of this to fight back in a sense, because if you're aware of it, you're less affected by it. So that's why it's important to uh, get this type of information out to people, because the more aware you are that this stuff is going on, the more you can take a step back and say, "Uh, -uh you're not doing that to me today. So uh, th that's what we all have to do. Psychic uh, self-defense is primarily symbolic literacy. Because then the archetypes don't hit you on the unconscious level because you see them with your conscious mind. You see what's there and then you get to choose and you can be the guardian of your own threshold, so to speak. Uh, so we are running into about the last five minutes of the first hour. I mean, I'm not opposed to this being slightly longer show because there's so many ideas to unpack. It's up to you dudes. But what I wanted to ask Wayne before we hit the uh, the transition point to the next hour was, you know, what do you think you just started to sort of talk about solutions? What do you think maybe other solutions might be? Uh, or what's your ultimate takeaway from your own work in terms of how it might affect your way of living life or, or looking at the world? Uh, well, essentially I would say what we have to do is just remove our consent from their systems. 
tell them, no, I'm not, I'm not doing that. Like just re- refuse and stand your ground because uh, that's the thing when enough people stand their ground and say, no, we're not doing that. Uh, then their whole house of cards crumbles that they have. Uh, see the, the perceived power that they have is just that it's perceived. They really have none. They don't want people to understand that the people we all have power, right? That's what they're afraid of. If we stand up in mass and say, you know what, scumbags, we're not doing what you tell us anymore. The day that happens is the day that uh, this world will fundamentally change in a much better way. Uh, Because we've let uh, this small class of people uh, throughout history tell us what to do way too much. Uh, You follow the authority. See, that's the problem. We've all become so complacent in our existence that we succumb to authority and authority figures. We, uh, we kind of, uh, abdicate our own personal free will and our own personal choices to somebody else to make decisions for us. Uh, that's what's gone on. We've become a complacent society and indifferent about things that we should care about. And we, uh, are distracted by things of no real importance. Uh, our society, Western culture is based upon entertainment. That's it. It's entertainment. That, that, that's what uh, Western culture thrives on. Uh, so, uh, you know, when you're looking at entertainment as your outlet of uh, creative thought and expression, uh, think about what the word entertainment means. If you go back to the fundamental meaning of it, enter to go in, tain to grab hold of, meant the mind to go in and grab hold of the mind. That's what entertainment's for. And they've they've utilized this against us. It's stealing or vampirizing our own creative energies, so to say, our own imaginations. Uh, so when they do that, they keep us powerless. But uh, when we disconnect from the system a little bit and start to think for ourselves, that's a very empowering thing. And then when when we refuse or uh, reject their offers, because that's what everything is at the end of the day. It's all an offer, Right. All of these things, mandates, everything like that. It's an offer. When we reject their offer, no, thank you. Not for me. Not today. They're powerless against that. It's it's the free will principle in action. They have no uh, fundamental real power over your free will. See, that's why they do everything by consent. So only through your consent can they, uh, you know, get you in their system. So uh, with that being said, that's that's the key here. Uh, we need to be brave enough. And that's that's the problem. Society has largely become, uh, you know, complacent. They've become they, they don't like confrontation. They don't want to have to take uh, responsibility for their actions or have some kind of consequences for things that they do. Right. They, they don't want to have to uh, be uh, kind of uh, what's the word I'm looking for. They, they don't want to be inconvenienced more than anything. I think at this point, uh, that's a lot of what's gone on with our society. We've become very comfortable and we just want to have enough to eat and be entertained, right? Uh, Bread and circuses. It's the bread and circuses idea that makes us more easily controllable, doesn't it? They don't want to step out of their comfort zone and say, no, I'm not doing this. I, I, you know, take your, your stuff and and go like they, they, they don't want to give up the benefits of the system, so to say. Uh, they've become complacent and they've become more easily controlled. Uh, but the whole key the here, irony of that, Wayne, is that in nature, if humans were living back in the myth, mythological, if you will, Garden of Eden state where abundance was surrounding and everything was pure and beautiful, we would have exactly what the fake authority offers us in, in you know, a poisonous form. They offer us 
entertainment, and food. But nature actually offers us, if we were in alignment with it, pure abundance and infinite beauty, which is actually what the itch is that they're offering to scratch for us with their bread and circuses. Right. It's a cheap knockoff of the real deal. See, it's that inversion principle again. They want to give you the artificial uh, as opposed to the natural. And the natural offers so much more. And that's the thing. But they've they've steered our consciousness into a direction where we're so far removed from nature that we don't seem to understand that anymore. We've lost sight of those things. So they give us this alternative. And this alternative is living to, you know, is, is leading to living in a digital reality, the metaverse, right? That's the ultimate fulfillment of this type of thing. They'll offer you this completely false thing because as it stands right now, uh, the offers that they give you uh, are based on some false premises, but they still exist within the realm of nature to some degree or another because we all live in this place which is enclosed in nature. So any system that they're building that's artificial is still encased within nature or the natural world. If they get you on a digital platform and upload your consciousness into a digital platform, well, this is something that doesn't really exist per se, does it? Uh, So this is where they would have ultimate control in their view, but uh, they would still be subject on the outside to the natural forces here. And that's why I think this thing's destined to fail for them. Uh, because it, it comes back to some basic principles of reality here uh, the, in the natural world. Natural law uh, has this this concept called entropy, where all things break down over time. And this is part of the, the birth rebirth cycle, uh, death and rebirth cycle and everything that goes on here. So uh, even if they were be able to uh, build this panopticon control grid that they want, this transhumanist uh, infrastructure, They're going to have to expend huge amounts of energy just to maintain it against nature. Because look what happens over time with man-made structures, right? You build a building, you abandon that building for a while, you go back. Well, nature takes over, doesn't it? Uh, You could see the, the, you know, vines grow and everything and, and stuff begins to crumble. This is the entropy concept. And this is part of natural law and it's unavoidable for them. So, uh, even if they succeed with their transhumanist ideas, it's going to be short lived because they're not going to be able to maintain it. Uh, because nature will always self-correct. Nature also has centropy, which is the self-organizing, self-ordering principle, which is the generative and, you know, the harmonic aspect. But because these technologies are not harmonic, they do not have that overtone of the creation of extra energy through being, you know, in resonance and alignment in a natural sense, then it's pure entropy, which is what you're saying. Right. That, that's exactly that's that's well put. Uh, that's exactly what happens. They're fighting against the natural order. Right. Uh, so eventually it, they run out of energetic principles to keep it moving. Uh, that, that's the bottom line here, because it, it's, it's like going trying to swim upstream. You know what I'm saying? You're fighting the current and, you know, the current keeps getting stronger uh, against you. And at some point you you get become exhausted and run out of energy and then you succumb to the current. It's the same thing with this whole idea. Uh, So even if they do succeed on some level with this transhumanist idea, it's, it's destined to fail catastrophically. Uh, That's, that's the point I think that needs to be made. So uh, even if they do uh, manage to pull it off to some degree or another, it'll be very short lived. Let's put it that way. 
All right. So <laughs> let's, uh, Joshua, I'm going to definitely give you some room on the other side, but we should wrap up the first hour here. Uh, if you got anything that you want to point out to the free hour people, please go ahead, but we'll, uh, make it concise and then let Wayne give us his plugs for all his channels and any upcoming work he might want people to be aware of and move over to the other side where I want to talk more about the actual mythology of it all, the, the pan idea, the, uh, maybe the C Ovid in the COVID thing. Uh, man, there's so many ideas that are important to discuss, but yeah, uh, we'll, we'll just save it for there. <laughs> I've got a lot of things on the, on my notepad. Uh, Joshua, what do you got? Well, I would just like to encourage people not to fall for the silly con that, uh, is <laughs> being perpetrated upon Silicon. us. Yeah. So, um, they're using this, uh, obey your father and mother um, archetype to get us to herd into these, uh, these choices, you know, these solutions they present to the chaos. Right. So when you were talking there, it reminded me of page 116 in your book, drivers of the thing uh, that we can't say in the three hour, but uh, you need oxen to drive that. Right. And so the word that I can't say means cattle. Right. So, um, vodka. Yeah. That's why I call it the cowpoke. That's my code word for it. Yeah. So, we're talking about primary movers and you use the oxen to drive that. So, it's when they can upload these energetic principles into the cattle uh, that they can drive these narratives and these unnatural types of narratives. But as you said, it, it won't um, be able to be sustained. And they seek to author the uh, script or to edit the script would be more correct to say. And, uh, the scripture as it were of the universe. So like chance was saying, the natural order wants to order itself in such a way. So, um, what we're going to see is that the discordant, uh, uh, will be done away with and what will remain will be the order, um, that will once again, um, rain. So it's kind of like a tower moment that we'll all be witnessing, I think. And uh, instead of becoming heroes ourselves, they have us marveling at the superhero archetypes on the screen, right? And alternative scripts. But I'll let it rest there. Yeah, speaking of which, Wayne, you'd make a great special guest for our Marvelous Demystifiers monthly show. If there's a particular Marvel thing that you have a lot to say about, maybe we can schedule one of those. Oh, that'd be awesome. I, I, I am a big fan of the uh, MCU films. Uh, I've, I've watched almost every single one of them, except for the ones that just, you know, the social engineering was too much to stomach. But uh, it, there's there's always, uh, you know, very much uh, hidden concepts in those where they're trying to steer human consciousness in ways. And I, even I the social that. engineering, if you reverse engineer that, then you run into natural law and truth. And it's so it's a great teachable thing. It definitely is. Yeah, man, I'll have to do that. I'd love to come on there sometime and discuss one of these films, maybe many of them. So who knows? There, there's a lot of them. I mean, how many films are they up to now? At least, what, 25 or something like that? 26? I, I believe that. there were 22 in the first cycle, which right. is definitely a, a master builder tarot thing. Yeah, the first 11 up to the, uh, the <laughs> Infinity War thing. Yeah, 
the first 11 year run and there were 22 films altogether uh do the math you know that that's all you have to do to understand but uh, definitely yeah, catch 22 cool. to be a marvel fan <laughs> these are important uh you know concepts that uh, once again one of the ways that they they weaponize and quantify things against us uh they know what they're doing they're not dumb about it but yeah that sounds great i would love to do that at some point uh, Anything else we want to get in here in first hour before we uh, just definitely your plugs where people can find you, what may be coming next and how they can support you all the best ways for that or connect with you, you know, whatever you want people to know. Okay. That's awesome. Uh, I could be found right over here on Rockfin, uh, rockfin.com backslash Wayne McCroy, uh, the alchemical tech revolution. I also have, uh, the alchemical tech revolution podcast available now through Spotify and Apple podcasts. Uh, people could go there. I have a YouTube channel, Alchemical Tech Revolution, a small Facebook page called Files from the Conspiratorium, which is always way down at the bottom of the news feeds. Uh, so, uh, you know, people could check me out there. Got a new project upcoming with my good friend Jason Lingren. Uh, we are launching a new podcast and YouTube channel called Death of the Modern Hero, where we are going to start uh, taking apart uh, different ideas within different films and uh exploring these avenues of thought and we're, we're starting our first episode we'll be doing uh, a, a fundamental breakdown of the hero's journey as it pertains to the 1999 film the matrix uh so we're going to jump into that one and uh, uh do that so this is a, a new project for both of us where we're trying to hit more of the uh mainstream uh type audiences with it to try to hopefully steer them over into some of our other work uh so we're we're looking to get that uh up and running uh the youtube channel is up and functional now there's an introduction video there uh for it it's called death of the modern hero um so uh look for more things to be coming and eventually there there will be a documentary uh coming out that jason's looking to produce with that uh so that that's a new project we're working on and we would appreciate the support there too uh so you know other than that um uh, I'm kind of all over the place. I, I'm a frequent uh, guest and contributor on Pro Triple Seven Radio, if people are familiar with that one. Uh, and also every Wednesday night, 9.30 p.m. Eastern Time, uh, we do Secrets of Saturn live stream here on Rockfin. And we're going to start putting those back over on YouTube after the fact, too, uh, to try and, uh, you know, hopefully uh, get some more people over on Rockfin. Uh, so, you know, uh, those are all the primary places i can be found and plus i have the books out there just google my name and they'll come up uh, i appreciate it chance thank you very much yeah it's been great can't wait to get into it on the other side always goes deeper uh, in hour two so thanks for being here and joshua thanks for joining us i uh, really appreciate your contributions and your way of thinking about things too man so yeah see everyone on the other side patreon and rockford members thanks for, for the support and free people catch you next week
I mean, cow. What a conversation that was. I think that we probably rocked about an hour and 10 minutes in the first hour. So extra long. And for the people who are privy to the plus extension, that was a solid hour and a half extension. Big thanks to Wayne for the extra time and for just his time in general and all the work that he does. And also really great to have Joshua with me. And he is here in what would normally be my monologue. Now it's going to be an outro dialogue. So, all right, uh, Joshua, what did you think about that conversation? I mean, fantastic. I think it's a great crash course into the what we're experiencing today. So if you know anybody that you would kind of like to red pill, so to speak, I think this book would make a great uh, addition to their bookshelf. Um, I can't wait to take it to my grandmother after this. We always like to jam together on topics about like aliens and spirituality and uh, mysticism, things of that nature. So, you know, I'm going to even leave my notes in here for her so that she can, uh, you know, get even more from it. But, but yeah, this, this does a really good job. Uh, it's easily digestible. The text is actually very large as well. So I'm not concerned about her ability to read it, for instance. Um, but I think that this is something most people could consume and understand and then also be pointed to research topics so that they can then you know, learn more. So, yeah, you know, I, I really do think this is a great way to start the spring <laughs> to springboard onto these other uh, topics and, and hopefully be that red pill moment. I, I can remember for me, it was when I learned about the 9-11 hoax so to speak, that, uh, you know, I, I was red pilled in that loose change documentary, for instance. And so this could be that for somebody else. So I, I would really highly recommend um, grabbing a copy of this. And I even got the book the same week I ordered it. So you could kind of vicariously go through it with us if uh, if you like. But yeah, I really yeah, enjoyed it. Also, the the ebook version for people that don't mind reading that way is handy in the sense that all the footnotes that make up the appendix of supp supplemental information and resources and research and announcements from the powers that should not be themselves, where they tell you about the various things that they're doing up front and openly, all of that stuff in the appendixes and the footnotes are linked from the ebook version, which is probably not very expensive. If you need a book on your bookshelf, I understand that enjoying the physical media Many, many books that I enjoy and value, I actually have a version of both. Some books, I even have the audiobook, the ebook, and the physical copy. So, you know, it, doing that isn't a horrible idea just because you're triple supporting the author, which is cool. But what you said about it being a good red pill, absolutely true because it's accessible. It is well-researched, but it is not convoluted. It's not overly complicated. It leaves all the breadcrumbs there if someone wants to go find out more. It supports what is saying in the what he's saying in the book with the actual documentation of the the real world stuff that it is referring to. I don't think it's a bridge too far for somebody who's at least opened their mind that there's something wrong with what's going on in terms of the cooties thing. But uh what this really this conversation gave me a new idea about the idea of the red pill, a new way of understanding that. Because I've always been like, you know, red pill, blue pill. No, no, no. I don't want to take any pills. I think we're trying to uh, do away with pharmacia, right? Maybe give me the clear pill. I want to get my mind clear. And, I, you know, I don't want to be on this red versus blue dynamic anymore. But if you look at the red pill, 
as a rooted pillar, a tree trunk rooted, you know, like red, your root, mm-hmm. uh, a pillar, right? The trunk. Then it's a different idea. If we're getting red pilled, representing coming to the truth, well, then we are rooting ourselves in truth. We are healing our roots by getting in alignment with nature, which is what truth is. I think that's a different way of understanding the red pill that takes it away from being, you know, (laughs) the metaphor from the matrix and something more grounded in our reality as branches on this great tree of life. It's interesting when you said that phrase, I hadn't thought of it that way. And I couldn't help but think of a red pillar, um, like a pillar soaked in blood, like the, the murdered beautiful, um, like in the Masonic iconography, we see the, the broken pillar, right? So, uh, it'd be like this realization. That's what revelation is all about because the full title of the book of revelation is the revelation of Jesus Christ or the revelation of salvation. So, um, yeah, I think it's a really good way of putting it. I never thought about the red pillar in that way. And of course, we're I supposed it was to the revelation off. of St. John. Well, he wrote it, but the full, the full title is the revelation of Jesus Christ. What's interesting so too. I want to, I'm sorry to cut in brother, but there was an idea that you brought up in the second hour about the cancer being the, the gate, if you will, um, the sheepfold gate, which, you know, cancer is the top of the pillar. It's the keystone. It's where we're said to come in from the heavens down to earth. It's the top of the dome in the sky clock metaphorically. And we were discussing how following the lion, if you will, the, the devil prowls as a lion outside the sheepfold gate. And that that's Leo right after cancer and that Leo is the fall. That's when the sun begins to fall. But also Leo is re- got the star Regulus in it. Leo is representative in the sky clock of the king archetype, the royalty. And the earthly king is what we ought not to follow unless the earthly king is a servant of the good shepherd, so to speak. Good shepherd being what's the other side of the sheepfold gate in cancer? It is the Mercury. It is the Gemini. And, uh, mm. you know, even following that, if you keep going that direction, you eventually get to the lamb or the Aries. You get to the, who, the sheepfold gate, right? He's the shepherd because on the other side of the Mercury or the Gemini is the, the bull and the lamb, which is what a shepherd would be taking care of animals like that. And so when we talk about this, Good Shepherd also being dual or being a Gemini or being twins, it makes me think of that dynamic between uh, Jesus Christ and John the Baptist that has been inverted in a very Cain and Abel way by secret societies that seem to like have this whole skull worship thing and the belief of St. John being the actual Messiah, if you will. Again, externalization of something that should be internal that, uh, You know, to me, the reason why the shepherd, if you will, the Christ or the Mercury could be represented as a twin or Gemini is because it's a spirit that indwells. And so it is like your holy guardian angel. It is your it's the it's the uh, the real you in the mirror world, as opposed to this artificial mirror world of the Internet and the disassociative identity disorder. It's the uh, it's your spiritual twin or double in the sense that. It is the spirit that animates and 
protects and guards, if you will, if we are, you know, if you understand what I'm saying here. Yeah. It reminds me of the, how the, I think it was Gabriel talking about the placenta having that, uh, an etheric, uh, That's double of you. Oh, excuse me. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that would kind of represent like the higher ownership self, of right? that idea. <laughs> I think he was on that stream, pardon. Uh, but yeah, um, maybe like the anima to the animus, vice versa. So if you're a boy, maybe you're, it's, it's a girl. If you're a girl, it's a guy, um, that watches over you. So that's an interesting thought to think about. But, um, also John the Baptist and Christ, that's the Baptist was the water. And then he even talks about the one who's coming is greater and he'll baptize with fire, which is the, you know, Pentecostal, um, um, archetype. So in the keystone of heaven at, at summertime, that's 50 days after Passover. So the time of the lamb, uh, is 50 days of account to Pentecost. That's when the holy fire descends. So he was even referencing that. And it's on the other side um, of that that we find the temple, which is Virgo. And that would there was only three um, holy days, rather, that men were required to go to the temple. And that was the Feast of Unleavened Bread in the spring, which is your first month. And then the, uh, the Pentecost, which was at the middle where the sheepfold gate is. And then the third was Tabernacles, which was in September or the time of Virgo. And so I want to point out something the, interesting too. Speaking of twins, in a sense that we were discussing Inky or uh, or EA, and his oh, double yeah. is Inlil, and Inlil right. is always associated with the number fifty. Oh yeah, that's the highest rank, and the or the well sixty is the highest with Anu, but yeah, fifty would be his rank, and then Inky held uh, the spot at forty, I think. Um, and then the female consorts of them had the intermediary degrees like uh, at, um, 45, 50, you know, or excuse me, um, 35, 45, those intermediaries were occupied by their spouses, I think. Um, but yeah, Enlil was over the law of the land. Um, and then Inky had law of the water or the naval law. So we get this phrase devil in the deep blue sea. that kind of references again, this sea goat, uh, Ia, inky kind of archetype and you know the thought is that uh he has dominion in the sea like this again yeah yeah Mm -hmm. i mean even wasn't the myth the myth of pan's death having to do with like coming in from the sea well that i'm not so sure of but um i do know that christ gave his sermon on the mount at caesarea philippi which was known as a popular um cult of pan uh, ritual center, which is why it's so po- it was populated as such. Um, it was very, very popular. And so he gave a sermon there to basically kill Pan, in other words. Um, so he is the solution to the pandemic, as it were. Uh, so again, we come back to the salvational aspects where he offers a way that works in um, contrast to the way that doesn't work. So we got this way of confusion or the Hellenistic kind of thing um, where basically all those anything goes no rules uh, like a nanny type state and then but the father brings in these rules and and laws and so that's where uh, he was bringing that in so to I think uh, give a little context to what i just said the myth of pan's death 
to put it in a really quick summary is that interesting too is the only Greek god who actually dies is Pan. But the news of Pan's death comes to Famous, a sailor on his way to Italy. Italy, mm-hmm. interesting. By the way of the island Paxi. And while he's sailing, a divine voice hailed him across the salt water. Makes me think of sirens. That says, Thamus, are you there? When you reach Pallades, take care to con- proclaim that the great god Pan is dead. Which Thamus did, and the news was greeted from shore with groans and laments. So, I mean, there's a mm-hmm. sea goat, if you will. Pan is dead. Yeah. Which kind of you know, reminds me of like gnashing of teeth and the weeping of uh, the, the people weeping at the gate of Tammuz, uh, like the dying God, that kind of thing. So, oh, and we, um, panspermia was another thing that came to mind uh, when you were talking about pan a little bit ago. So maybe that is to suggest that creation from the waters, you know, Inky was kind of sometimes associated with the creation uh, aspects. Um, so I, I could kind of see that coming from the sea in a sense. Um, we also. Yeah. Yeah. Capricorn is the goat seed. That's what it means. Yeah. Capri, okay. Goat and corn <laughs> seed. Corn is a kernel of seed. Yeah. Very interesting. <laughs> and seed and sea. Obviously there's a big phonetic there. And that's maize. So makes me think of the Minotaur maize because maize is another word for corn too. <laughs> Man, we can weave all day. <laughs> I better let people know about the plus extension though. Normally what happens in the outro <laughs> way before this point would be that I tell everyone who is uh, just only listening to the free version of this episode, what we got into in the extension. And as I already mentioned, that was like an hour and a half rather than the usual hour. So big thanks to Wayne for the extra time. Do hope people check out his work and his book and Alchemical Tech Revolution on Rockfin or YouTube is where you can watch his really great research live streams. What I appreciate about his stuff is a lot of his streams. He will read you occult books and then explain what it is that's being said to the best of his ability. Mm-hmm. So you can learn a lot. Uh, you can catch yourself up on some of the research into these things without needing to have these rare old books to do so. But to go through some of the stuff in the plus extension, it's really, this is just like a couple of points. It's not really the perfect summary because we were, we were into a lot of deep waters and many, many things were discussed, but the, uh, we started out with the possibility of the elite's plan to skip us from the age, accelerate us artificially, if you will, past the age of Aquarius and into the age of Capricorn. We discussed uh, silicon, the transition material, transhumanism, the trans agenda. We talked about the cowpoke as an occult ceremony. And then we did get into a lot of weaves about Inky or EA and Mercury, Hermes, Pan, and how they are all connected. And then we discussed this Mercury as a fluid that Saturn or Capricorn is cutting off his legs in in alchemy uh, depictions. And that led us to discussing flow versus damning or damnation. Christ as the philosophic Mercury versus the uh, messiops, if you will, of the inverted externalized rock star. And then that led us to discussing the attempt to build a body for the aramonic force or the artificial, the mirror world, the disassociative identity, trying to take over a real world physical body. Man. So, you know, ultimately we went to a lot of places after that, but sort of revolving around this theme of the alien invasion, the real invasion 
of the alien is within our psyche in the sense of uh egregoric psychic type of entity that we've created and then allow to dwell within us, you know, the dweller, but take over and uh give life to the artificial through that. And that's sort of the whole idea of the robotic roboticization roboticizing of mankind is making them into the perfect servant for the would be masters. Uh, is there anything in the second part that you want to point out that we got into that I maybe missed in that wrap up there, Josh? Yeah, Sorry, we also just, it's fine. Uh, we also discussed some of the things that we wouldn't be able to discuss on YouTube because it's censored. So if you're curious to know how this can relate to the mark of the beast and, uh, you know, the words that are used, uh, in that regard and, and what this could all mean in a biblical context, then I would really like to encourage you to listen to the second part because, uh, we're allowed to, we're able to be a little more relaxed and less occulted <laughs> in a sense there. Um, so this book, uh, is only 224 pages and it's in 19 chapters, which is probably no coincidence, you know, because of the 19, <laughs> but, um, and as you said, there's a big font. So those pages, it's more like a 120 page book in a different format. I would agree. Yeah, it's like a booklet almost. And read. Uh, you said that the, the electronic version exists. So one thing that you could use that for possibly is doing a search of keywords uh, and probably even finding things in the book that way that maybe reading it, you don't catch it so much because I took notes as I went and just stuck pages in the pages as I was going. But, um, if I had, I have a ton of books that during weaves and conversations and podcasts, I have open in the ebook form and I'm just control F searching for terms exactly. and then, uh, bringing some of those connections forward that I, I already know, but it helps to be able to like quick reference them that way. <laughs> Externalization of our brains that the, uh, electronic world is, you can at least make use of it. Yeah. So I think that would be a, uh, you know, a digital version of this would be a nice way to study the material and cross-reference it with things that you might find on the internet. But, but the, the, the book itself is a nice quality. I mean, I like the way it feels in my hands. It's, um, you know, again, it was a quick read and, um, I can't wait to you know, give it to my friends and family so that they can read it. Uh, like I said, my grandmother will be the first one that I'm going to hand it off to. She's always eager to read the books that I'm reading. <laughs> Makes me miss but, my grandmother, uh, dude. She was a huge reader and probably would have been able to follow along with these ideas too. So uh, blessed you are to have that connection to the elder. Thank you. I need to go visit her more often. You know, uh, considering she only has radio, really, uh, she's awfully well-informed. I also got her a subscription to the Epic Times. And so she's always getting a newspaper every week. Uh, to stay up to date and she just listens to the radio. But when I can, I'd bring her books and we discuss different things. And I even got a tape recorder, a cassette recorder rather, uh, that, uh, you can direct out to the computer to make MP3s. So when I go and visit her, uh, I'm, we're going to start taping our conversations so that I can save them. So very cool. Man, that would be yeah. great for posterity. Grandma yeah. casts. Yeah, I might even 
you know, immortalize them some way, shape or form. But, uh, but yeah, the book itself, uh, I was very pleased with. And so it was, it was such a pleasure to meet Wayne McRoy. Um, he reminds me of another great author, uh, Gary Wayne, you know, that writes on these similar yep. topics. So this would really dovetail with a lot of the things that he covers in his book, uh, the Genesis six conspiracy. I knew but, I yeah, would no. love to bring you and Wayne together because not only are you deep biblical scholars and Christian mystics, but you're also dedicated to a life of service of those that are in need of help in uh, different ways, but also quite similar. So very, very kindred spirits and wonderful, wonderful men, both of you are. So it was a pleasure to see that interaction. Well, thank you, sir. Uh, we are shepherds after all. So we can be fathers and mothers to the flock um, if, if we if we like. And, and, and we get uh, a reward of salvation you know, if we lead them back to the sheepfold gate. So I just really appreciate the opportunity to share share those beliefs with others and how, especially how they um, looking through that lens, you know, it makes what's going on today not seem so chaotic after all, but really help to see, you know, what's happening and how we can combat it. Um, and we talked also about the spiritual armor and how, you know, these things help feed into that idea that we are clad in this spiritual armor so that we can, survive against the wiles of the devil, as it were. Um, so in a world of lies, you know, go seek the truth and, uh, you know, become the body of Christ. Right. So just in contrast to this, uh, like you said, this, this body they were trying to create, um, of their own, we too, at the same time are becoming the body of Christ, each with a different part to play. So thank you for helping me. Uh, fulfill my part in that body. Absolutely, man. Definitely wouldn't have been able to have as deep of a overview of things as we did without you. And I will mention to everyone one more time that if you want that second hour, I don't think I actually said this, but you can get it on Patreon and Rockfin, rockfin.com, R-O-K-F-I-N slash or .com. Yeah. Slash interverse. And then patreon.com slash interverse. The Rockfin gives you access to all the premium creators on the network for $10 a month or the Patreon for $5 a month gives you just my stuff, but the whole archive of everything I've ever done as premium content. Another upside of the Patreon version is that you can get a link to upload the RSS feed directly to your favorite podcast player, which makes it very easy to access your extended episodes just like you would any other show. Whereas Rockfin, there's a specific Rockfin app or you can access it through a browser. The Rockfin app is good. Some people complain about some issues with it. It is frequently updated. The Patreon app works pretty well, but it's never updated. So <laughs> anyway, uh, those are the current choices. And you know, the more of you that support me, the sooner I'll be able to shell out what is necessary in terms of Cashola in order to get a website built that can host that type of functionality of premium content under my own ownership. So would love to get there at some point and intend to appreciate everybody's current level of support though. And it helps me do this full time and not need other streams of income so much apart from working with you out there in one-on-one -on -one sessions as clients. I would be happy to take on some sound healing or a balancing. If anyone's interested, you can find more information on my website about that under the shop tab. 
interversepodcast.com slash sound dash healing. Everything I'm mentioning, there's a link to in the show notes as well. You could do Oracle card spiritual counseling with me where we examine the I Ching and the tarot. That's a really good option for helping you get unstuck and see your higher potential and superpowers in this incarnation. There are links to Clive DeCarl's shop and a few other affiliate links at the bottom of the description of every show where making purchases through those links will support Interverse, which is me. <laughs> Much appreciated all the different ways that you might want to support. Would love to work together and do some uh, healing and tuning up. I'm going to play us out with a track from my buddy, Michael, a.k.a. My Own Eyes. This is his newest release called Cradle, which feels appropriate. Talking about that sheepfold gate. So enjoy that, everybody. Joshua, thanks again for joining me. Looking forward to the next time that we get together on a weave or a stream. Much love, my brother. And thanks, everyone, for listening. Many meows. God bless. Meow. Meow.